Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. You know, just as real estate prices are skyrocketing here in places like Big Sky, because it's such a desirable place to live, there's also, on the flip side, some really undesirable places to live. And uh, perhaps the worst place to live in our country, at least over the past few decades, is Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Located on Lake Michigan, only 25 miles from Chicago, Gary's decline began in the 1970s when the steel manufacturing industry collapsed. Over a span of 20 years, in a city of 80,000 people, 24,000 steel workers lost their jobs. In 1993, Gary, Indiana earned the nickname the, Myrtle, the murder capital of the USA with a homicide rate that was significantly higher than anywhere else in the country, even three times higher than neighboring Chicago. One third of all homes in Gary, Indiana are currently abandoned or unoccupied. And this has led to Gary, Indiana being one of the most popular places for the movie industry to film horror movies. <laughs> How'd you like your town to be known for that? And if all this isn't bad enough, in 1918, this region was the site of a terrible accident where a circus train tragically crashed, leading to the death of over 80 performers, most of whom were buried in a mass grave in a local cemetery. I grew up a little bit afraid of clowns, but the poor kids in this town, ghost clowns. <laughs> Terrible. Well, if you can understand how tragedy and violence and economic hardship made Gary, Indiana a very unfavorable place to live, you can start to begin to understand the identity of Bethlehem in the Bible. And for the next 15 minutes, I'd like to show you why Bethlehem was such an unfortunate place to live, according to the Bible. Secondly, I'd like to explain the significance of God's promise to bring a king from this exact place, despite its violence and its tragedy. And then finally, I'd like to end with the encouragement of what God's promise is coming true in this dark region of Bethlehem means for our hope and our faith in a dark time. So because, uh, just to provide a summary here, let's just give a very brief overview of the tragic past of Bethlehem. If you go all the way back to Genesis 35, verses 16 to 20, I think that's the first instance that we have of this particular town. And we learn about it through it being the burial place of Rachel. So one of the great women, one of the great mothers in the Old Testament, she dies in childbirth. They put her tomb at the gate of the town, and that's our introduction to Bethlehem. Later on in Judges 19, uh, we have a story that you've probably never heard of because it's the most brutal victimization in the whole Bible. It's just a terrible, tragic story, and uh, we don't have time to go through it, nor would I ever want to have to preach that chapter. But it's all about a time in Israel when there was no king. Those who were supposed to protect were failing to protect those who they were called to look after. There's massive abuse, there's death, there's bodies that are mutilated, and it all happens where? The story tells us that it all happens in Bethlehem. And then probably the unfortunate uh, story in Bethlehem that you're the most familiar with 
happens in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, when we learn this. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What a terrible act by a wicked king, killing all the boys who were two and under. And uh, in that account from Matthew two sixteen to 18, the writer Matthew actually quotes a, a verse from Jeremiah that ties that event with the birth, uh, with the death of Rachel, right? And so we're kind of uh, we're kind of told that mothers are crying, and there's death, and that's what Bethlehem is all about. Well, the Bible also provides kind of another theme along with that one that Bethlehem is known for. And probably the, the second theme that Bethlehem is known for throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is that even though Bethlehem was a place of unfortunate violence, it was also a place with an enduring, lasting hope for a king. Let me give you three quick examples of how Bethlehem was also known for this unextinguishable hope that one day God would provide a king through that town. The last couple weeks we've been talking about the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, there's this woman, and she has faith that these promises of a king to come will come true. She's obedient to her uh, Hebrew mother-in-law, Naomi, and this guy, Boaz, this other faithful Hebrew, gets involved. And the exclamation point of the story is that a baby is born who will be the great-grandfather of the great king, David. And the story of Ruth happens where? Bethlehem, a place that's known for an enduring hope for a king. All the way back in 1 Samuel, we learn about the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. He's tall and he's handsome, but everything good ends after that. He makes mistake after mistake, and uh, that kind of sets up the introduction of this other king, David. And in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13, we learn that he is... This guy, David, is selected by God. He's anointed. He will one day be a great king. And he is from where? He's from Bethlehem. Uh, something really interesting happens uh, in Micah 5.2, which was read to us uh, in the Advent reading. And uh, if you're not careful, it will kind of blend in with some other predictions or prophecy that happened earlier in the Bible. And in Micah 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel. And it's easy to kind of think that since this is the Old Testament, that's again talking about King David, this great Hebrew king. But of course, the book of Micah occurs after the reign of King David. So here you have this prophet saying, even though many of the Old Testament's prophecies came true through a great king emerging from Bethlehem, guess what? That's not the end of the story because an even greater king than David will also come out of this region. And then interestingly enough, I've always missed this detail, but in Matthew 2, 5-6, to 6, uh, when... Um, Herod asks the Magi why it is that they came to Bethlehem. They essentially say, we were led here because of the star, and we were led here because of the prophecy in Micah 5.2. They say, 
In Bethlehem and Judea, this is what the prophets had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the Magi, the wise men, are saying the, Bible, the, the Scripture predicts that an even greater king will come out of Bethlehem. And that's, of course, who they were searching for. So uh, I hope that uh, overview helps us realize that, number one, the reason Bethlehem is featured in Advent stories and readings and songs is first and foremost because it's a terrible place. You wouldn't want to be from there. You wouldn't want to own property there. It's violent. It has a legacy of disappointment. But in addition to that, Bethlehem also has an enduring hope for a king. Even in the midst of those low seasons and those dark centuries, the people had hope that God's promises would come true, that a great king would still come out of that dark, violent place. And that kind of balance is what leads us to uh, section three as we kind of wrap up a little bit early today. What I really want to kind of get everybody processing through this afternoon is what Bethlehem's contributions to the Advent story mean for us. And I think with that kind of context as to what Bethlehem is all about throughout the Old and the New Testament, it helps us kind of interpret the Christmas story in a slightly more meaningful way. Let's end with three things that understanding Bethlehem's history can do to help us be encouraged and focus on Christ this Christmas season. Number one, the ugly and gritty past of Bethlehem reminds us of our need for a Savior. Okay? The ugly, violent, gritty past of Bethlehem reminds us of our need for a Savior. When you go Christmas shopping and when you watch commercials on TV, there's kind of been this great reinterpretation and what the commercials and the stores want to tell us is that Christmas is all about being cozy. We need to focus in the next month on being really cozy and put out your scented candles and bake some cookies and decorate your house just right and buy your loved one a 4x4 uh, with a big bow on the hood, right? Because Christmas is all about being safe and cozy. But what the story of Bethlehem is all about is that it's a terrible place. In Judges 19, an innocent woman gets abused and chopped up, right? The slaughter of the innocents is all about this region having Herod's soldiers march through and kill all the children, all the boys who are two and under. So the promise of a Savior coming out of Bethlehem is a reminder to us that Christmas we don't need Jesus at Christmas to be cozy, right? Like, I can be cozy without Jesus. But I do need Jesus to forgive my sins. I need him to fill my heart with hope and joy when the world has kind of extinguished those things. And I need Jesus for new spiritual life. So I just want to ask you guys the question, and this is what Bethlehem helps me remember. Are you coming to Christ this Christmas? just as kind of an added element of spiritual coziness? Or does Christmas remind you of your need for a Savior to forgive you of your sins, to reconcile you to our Creator, to fill you with hope and joy, and to give you that new spiritual life that we all long for? Christmas isn't about being cozy, is it? It's about our need for a Savior. We need a Savior because of the wickedness and the depravity that we're all capable of. 
And what good news that Bethlehem reminds us that Christ has come into the darkest, most wicked places, which we sometimes contribute to the world as well. All right, number two, what's a second thing that Bethlehem helps us kind of calibrate and focus on this Advent season? And it's this. Bethlehem's enduring hope through the centuries reminds us of faith's power to overcome dark seasons. The fact that Bethlehem was a region that that never gave up hope that a better king was to come shows shows us the power of faith to endure and overcome dark, bleak seasons. If you guys kind of look in the sermon notes, you'll see that those references that we talked about are almost perfectly balanced. It's true that Bethlehem has all these stories in the Bible of being a wicked, violent, terrible place of of death and, 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 and failed childbirth and tears. But it's also a place with Ruth and her hope. It's also a place of Micah's prophecy, right? It's also a place uh, where God's people never stopped believing that he would fill those promises and bring a king through that place. 2020 has been kind of a dark year in a lot of ways. We all have a lot to be thankful for. But for many of us, it's also been a very hard year. Bethlehem had a lot of hard years And yet the people, God's people in that region, uh, never gave up hope over the centuries that God would fulfill his promises and bring a great king from there. And I hope that encourages us in low seasons and in hard times and in violence and injustice like we've seen in this past year, that faith and hope can endure dark seasons and dark places as it did in the story of Bethlehem. Here's the final thing I want you to think about as we wrap up today. The transformation of Bethlehem's legacy reminds us that there's nowhere that you can be from that Jesus can't redeem. The inclusion of Bethlehem in the Advent story year after year, century over century, reminds us that there's nowhere that you can be from that Jesus can't alter the legacy in a better, beautiful way. What do you guys think of when you think of Jesus? I think of somebody that all throughout his life and ministry continued to change people's legacy. In Luke 19, we have the story of this guy, Zacchaeus, and the story tells us that he was a dishonest, embezzling tax collector. But that's not what you think of when you think of Zacchaeus. You think of somebody who ate with Jesus and was forever changed. In Luke 7, we're told that there's this sinful woman who's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet and the people at the dinner party are shocked and they're like, she's a sinful woman. She shouldn't even be touching you, Jesus. But Matthew gives these beautiful details that she was actually doing that because she understood that Jesus was the Son of God and he had the power to forgive her sins. What a perceptive and beautiful example. And we don't think of her as the sinful woman. Because her legacy has been transformed by Jesus, and we think of her as bold and perceptive. In Luke 23, 43, we have that story of the criminal on the cross, and one of the criminals is mocking Jesus, but then the other one says, leave him alone, and Jesus turns to that criminal and he says, in just an hour you will be with me in paradise. And when we think of that guy, we don't think of him as the second criminal, right? We think of him as somebody whose legacy is transformed. We think of him as somebody who was beautifully with Jesus in heaven and paradise just an hour later. All throughout Scripture, there's this pattern of Jesus transforming the legacy of things for the better. And that's what he's beautifully done with Bethlehem. 
Because when you came in this, this afternoon or when you heard the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, you don't nudge the person next to you and say, you know, that's the site of the most uh, brutal victimization in the Bible, do you? You say, that is the birthplace of Jesus because he's transformed its legacy just like he does for us. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but in that verse in Micah 5 too, it says that Bethlehem is little among the clans of Judah, little among the tribes. But then in Matthew 2, 6, with very similar wording, but just a little bit of a different emphasis, it doesn't say that Bethlehem is little among the clans. Uh, it says that it's by no means the least of the clans. In other words, Jesus is transforming the legacy of this town, just like Jesus beautifully wants to transform the legacy of where you are from. How would you guys characterize where you are from? Are you from alcoholism? Are you from absenteeism? Have you failed to be there when people that count on you needed you the most? Do you have a past that's characterized by unfaithfulness or fear? A lack of trust? Do you gossip? Are you prone to fighting and causing quarrels? No matter what negative term characterizes your past, the beautiful inclusion of Bethlehem in the Advent story is that Jesus transforms our legacy. He transforms what we're known as. He transforms how people see us. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and conclude our service with another song or two. I don't know if they're going to sing O Little Town of Bethlehem, are we? Okay, good. <laughs> and when we do, there's this one line that says this, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And I hope that line just takes on a new significance after our study today of what made the streets of Bethlehem so dark and what made the light of Jesus Christ so bright.